0: For consider him, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Father, as you go before us right now, Lord, open our hearts and our minds that we may be illuminated by your word that we understand the race of faith, Lord, that we may stay faithful and obedient till we come home to see you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, let's dive in. The first point is therefore. Every time you see a therefore, you wonder why it's Therefore. therefore. Yes, yes. Howard Hendricks used to say that at Dallas Theological Seminary. The guy that taught a lot of the heavy hitters like Ron Rhodes and this guy named Arnold Fruchtenbaum. He taught all these guys um, um, hermeneutics, which is the analytical study of Scripture. So he always said, every time you see a therefore, you wonder why it's therefore. So we go to verse 1. We see therefore. So the therefore is clearly linking the cloud of witnesses of the hall of faith. So you see, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by... So great a cloud of witnesses. So you see the linkage there, right? And how it's described. So the question is, faith, the hall of faith, what is faith? You have to go back to the last chapter, go to verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Well, we're going to do a summation of chapter 11. Ready? Ready? And we skip some. I'm going to read it to you. Because it might be too small. But we see, starting in verse 2, the hall of faith. By faith we understand that God created the world by his word. Also in verse 2. See, by faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith Enoch... Did not die by faith. It is impossible to please God. By faith, no one prepared no one, uh, prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham left the land of Ur and did not know where he would be going. By faith, Sarah had Isaac in her old age. By faith, Abraham is willing to offer up Isaac, his only son, trusting that God was able to raise him up. By faith, Isaac blessed. His sons and exhorted them to obey the covenant. By faith, Jacob likewise reminded his sons of God's uh, promises. By faith, Joseph expressed his confidence that God would bring the Israelites out of Egypt. By faith, Moses' parents refused to carry out commands um, of Pharaoh and to kill their child. By faith, Moses went back to Egypt so that he could lead Israel out of uh, Egypt and obediently carrying out the difficult commands of God. By faith, the Israelites led by Joshua, trusted God to give them victory over the city of Jericho, and by faith, Rahab believed in the power of God and helped the Israelite spies. There was about six more, but I didn't want to do that to you guys. But by faith, we see this hall of faith, So, therefore, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. See, many commentators, they think that this cloud of spiritual giants, the giants in the faith, I say amen to this, but the commentators, what they think is, they picture this massive stadium where the bleachers are filled, And you have this huge audience, right? It's just filled to capacity, and they're saying, let's go, let's go. You can do this. And they're cheering us on. See, I don't think it's about them cheering us on. See, there's a second perspective here that commentators do point to, and I agree with this one. That this perspective is looking to the examples of faith. It is giving us faith to look at the hall of faith. Does that make sense? To, it is like breaking the four-minute mile. So Roger Bannister in 1954, no one has ever broken the four-minute mile to him, Right? Since then, now you have over 1,400 athletes that have actually broken the four-minute mile. That's pretty crazy, right? But if you look at all the, the hall of faith, you saw all the things that they went through and how they had to act in faith. So I think this great cloud of witnesses is for us to look to to show what God has done in the past. It gives us a level of encouragement that, hey, what you're going through people have gone through. What does Solomon say? He says there's nothing new under the sun. I always say it's the same old song and dance, but it's just a different remix. right? It's all the same stuff. So just as Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, it couldn't be done. No one ever did it until he did it, and then 1,400 athletes after that did it. God uses people to give them faith. Give other people faith. They use people as examples of faith. So, as this great cloud of witnesses. Now, we go to our original first point, which is our preparation, because in every race, we need to do what? Prepare, right? Imagine going into an athletic event and not preparing. That would be pretty interesting. So, our preparation, as we go back to verse 1. Therefore, we are also, that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us set aside every weight. This is the first step of preparation. I think it's pointed out in two ways here, specifically. If you are running... You want to literally take off every extra weight. So if you look at runners today, what do they wear? As little as possible, right? Here's something that's very interesting. When this was written during the Greek games, do you know what they wore? Nada. Nothing. They ran naked. In fact, the wrestling events, you know what they did? There was no singlets. You guys know what a singlet is? That thing that goes you know, tight? Yeah, nothing. Nada. They literally took off every weight. So now we get the context of the analogy here, right? Nothing. So as they competed naked, so anything that could trip you up, slow you down, or cause you to lose the race was cast aside. So the second way is that you can't be overweight and running a race. Have you ever seen a bigger marathon runner? No. Like, could you see me running a marathon? No. No. There's some, like, really skinny people that run marathons. I don't, this guy does not run marathons, okay? We don't run marathons. So, to give you an idea about You know, being overweight. Um, In gymnastics, if you, at the highest level, if you're half a pound overweight, it can actually mess up your entire routine, just a half a pound. Like, you know what a Maltese is. It's like when they're at the rings and they're holding themselves up and they're linear and they're giving everything they have. If they're half a pound off, they'll tilt and fall off. They have to be at the perfect weight. For elite runners, every time every pound that they gain, they lose one to three seconds off of their time in a mile. Every pound, one to three seconds. So, the saying that Christians need to be spiritually trim and run without extra weights. Makes sense, right? Well, hey. Well, let's look at that in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. At the time of the Olympic Games, right, in Greece or in Greek culture, in the various parts of Rome, the Roman Empire, they competed in all these athletic events. And then they had these perishable crowns. Now, at one point, the Romans did not give perishable crowns. They only gave crowns to people who showed honor in battle. And then they adopted this concept that the Greeks actually had to give these temporal crowns. So that's where the, the context is, that they give a temporal crown, a temporal prize. It's temperate. It's going to die soon because it was usually some kind of plant or flowers. In Colossians 3 it says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Now, some of these things could be sinful acts, but not all these things are sinful. Not all these things are, um, are intentional, for that matter. Because what happens is, when you become a Christian, what happens? We focus on being a good person, right? Is Christianity about being a good person? No. It's about focusing on Christ so that he may transform your life so you may be obedient to him. So we're supposed to pass off these sinful things, but we do it through worship of the Lord. It's not about doing a whole bunch of acts and religious gymnastics. See, it's supposed to be a change inside you to cause you not to do these things. So what other weights can we put off in our lives? How about things that entertain us, that cause us to turn away from God? How about the scrolling effect, I like to call? Scroll, scroll, scroll. How many of you spend hours scrolling? Don't lie. You all raise your hand. Come on. What about YouTube? You guys on YouTube a lot? TikTok. TikTok. I specifically avoid TikTok, like the plague. So all at once, I was like, yep, nope, done. (laughs) Now let's go back to verse 1 in Hebrews chapter 12. Here it says, ensnares us. The second form of the preparation is to take away anything that ensnares us. Remember that the Greek runners ran naked so they had no clothes to slow them down. Spiritually speaking, Christians should put away any sin that may entangle them. Greed, pride, arrogance, lust, gossip, dishonesty, stealing, can cause believers to drift off their spiritual course. Lust, is a big one, right? Now, lust can be looked at in multiple ways, right? You have the lust of someone looking at someone from a physical standpoint and lusting after them. But you can also lust after other things, right? You can lust after money. Power. You can lust after a lot of things. But anything that ensnares us causes not to run the race properly. See, from a literal perspective, if you are running, you want to take off everything, right? You ever watch a movie when someone's running from the cops and they have, they have like, stuff? What do they do? They throw it off. They, run, they don't want to run with it. So you literally want to take off anything that ensnares you that causes you to sin. So we go to our second point, participation. First you have to prep for the race, now you have to participate in the race. So here in verse 1, it says, let us run. In keeping with the same concept, you once prepare for that race. You have to run the race. Now the race in the Greek games was the most significant events. Now, As we run, we are running in this Christian life. We're living the Christian life. When you are running, you are focused on the finish line specifically. You are focused on the goal. If you were running a race, would you look to your right or to your left to the crowd? Would you worry about what the crowd is saying? No, you wouldn't, right? You would be focused on What? Winning. That's the goal is to win. So my question is, why would we focus on anything else or worry about other things if our goal is to win? Because our focus is supposed to be on whom? Christ, which is going to be in the next verse. So the Christian life is visiting prisoners, entertaining strangers, believing God, trusting God, worshiping God, knowing God, having courage, praying, encouraging others, and confessing sin. So essentially, loving God and loving others. That is the Christian life, and we are to run it in a way that's worthy of the gospel, worthy of repentance. What does repentance mean? It's to change your mind, right? but it your mind to a focus. You notice the people that do the worst in life, let's use it from a secular perspective, if you're not focused at work, what happens? You can get, you know, in trouble, written up. If you're not focused at school, what happens? You can get bad grades. Those people who are not focused tend to have negative results, correct? But when you're focused, you have positive results, Right? I'm not saying because you focus on Jesus, you're going to have the most prosperous life at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm using this as a concept that when you focus wholeheartedly on Jesus Christ, he will absolutely transform your life. And then you can run the race of life better. Because we're to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God as believers, right? So, we have to participate in the race. And the way we participate is through our focus in Him. Our third point is perseverance. Oftentimes in the scriptures, you do see the word endurance translated also in perseverance. And you'll see a passage after this in Romans 5 3 through 5, where Endurance and perseverance are interchangeable here. So, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As we run this race, it is not a fast race. It is a race of endurance. This is the truest statement I've ever heard in the in, our faith. When people, what happens is, you ever know someone that comes to faith or, and then they get super excited and they want to do everything? What happens? It's called burnout. People get burnt out. They're like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. No. Pastor Chris, I want to be a pastor one day. I'm like, okay. You should read your Bible first. Go there. Just, just read Tell me, tell me, tell me what it's like to be a Christian first, and then we'll talk about being a pastor. See, it is endurance. It is consistency. And that's, that's what wins endurance races, is consistency. See, it's not just a marathon. I like to compare it to more of an ultramarathon. Anything over 26.2 miles is considered an ultramarathon. So when guys are running like 100 miles or running on a one mile track for like two days straight, that's more like the Christian life. It's not just one marathon. Because marathons, you can get it done. Like, it's, you know, a few hours ish. I would drive it personally, I wouldn't run it because I see no purpose in that. Um, <laughs> but it's like an ultra marathon that you keep going and going and going, and it feels like there's no end in sight sometimes. But there is. There is end in sight. I don't know if you've ever run a long distance, but sometimes you feel like you're running forever. So we can only persevere through the ups and downs of our faith, because when the people want to sprint, you ever sprint up and down hills and off rough terrain? What happens? You're likely to what? Trip and fall, and it hurts, right? Now, let's say you took it a little bit slower and ran as you were running a marathon. Well, you're less likely to trip, fall, and you start to see things, right, and to take your time. For the Christian who is opposed to the world, the anti-Christian sinners. That often means opposition and persecution. It is an agonizing pursuit of God and the lifestyle that is set before us. We see the trials in it. It's agonizing. We're, with every breath, every piece of strength, we're groping to focus on God. God. And that should be our focus, to look to him with every possible ounce of strength. You ever go to the point of physical exhaustion that you can't get up? You ever, you ever do that? It's rough. And like you can't move and you're dehydrated and you're sitting. Well, that's the Christian life. Everything you got. To get through the race. Now, do you have a great high priest? Do you have a savior? Absolutely. Does he carry you through? Oh yeah. But your focus does have to be on him. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated you endured A great struggle with what? Sufferings. Remember, it's about the endurance right now. The readers are reminded of the earlier generation who endured a great struggle and sufferings. We are to endure great struggles and sufferings. Now, if you notice the scripture, does it ever say this? You're going to become a Christian? It's going to be so easy and awesome. Nope. Nope. It says you're going to go through stuff. The crazy part, of the Bible actually tells you you're going to go through trials and tribulations. Yet, we are surprised when we go through what? Trials and tribulations. It's like, hey, see that? that there, there's an obstruction over there, or there's a wall there. Don't run into it, and you run into it anyway. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 36, for you have... Need of what endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. They are encouraged that they would need endurance, so they can receive the eternal promise of God. As we go back to chapter twelve, verse one, it says, "Set before us, set before us, God has established a path." that we are to run in the rules for, which the, uh, for the race, and we must run it. It's his way, not our way. His rules, not our rules. It's not whatever we want. Understand, when we say that we're a Christian, we're a follower of Jesus Christ, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, it was very specific that He called Jesus his Lord and his God. In the ancient Near East context, when you said that someone was your God, you were obedient to them and you were to give your life to them. When Paul says, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He chooses to be a slave to Jesus Christ. That's the Christian life. See, the believer has to give up everything that endangers their relationship before God. The goal is to focus on Jesus. Now, here is my absolute favorite quote about sin. The amazing thing is, it was done not by a theologian. Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles and John Wesley, she had double digit kids. Do you know she spent an hour a day reading the Bible with double-digit kids? Double-digit, because I, I thought it was like 12 to 15-ish. They didn't have cable back then. See, Susanna says this. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs your tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish your relish. Uh, for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Following with the same theme, we are to cut off all weights. We need to be spiritually trim. See, running the race requires preparation, participation, and perseverance. See, Christians prepare to run the race. Through their daily training, how many reps does it take to create muscle memories? Does anyone know the number? Go ahead. Thousand? It's actually ten thousand. Ten thousand reps. Ten thousand reps. Do you notice a boxer how long how they how long they, they practice their jab? first thing you first punch you learn their entire career runners run, work on their stride every single day wrestlers work on the same techniques every single day my question is what are we working on every single day See, unfortunately, the answer for some of us may be this, that we're not training biblically our spiritual lives every single day. Because let's relax and wait for the rapture. It's okay, I'm a Christian, it's cool. We're good, I'm saved, that's it. See, salvation is through faith alone, yes, 100%. However sanctification when you're set apart takes work we need to pray we need to read the word of God examine our life and habits anything that hurts us in this race needs to be set aside we participate in worship we persevere by maintaining a Christ-like and God-honoring attitude even when the trials are strong and we feel weak No matter what it is, it needs to be focused on Christ. Now our fourth point, pioneer. We're going to shift uh, from the New King James to the New English translation here. I'll explain for a reason. So verse 2 says, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set out. For him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. See, in the New King James' says author, But I believe a better translation is pioneer. And I'm going to explain why in a second. But we are to look towards Jesus, the study of his life. See, because it's the pattern that which we are to live, because he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, same word, pioneer, says, For it was fitting for him for whom. And through whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. As the pioneer of their salvation, whose office was completed or made perfect on the cross, it depicts here that Jesus both was the pioneer who leads his people through their pilgrimage in this life and is the champion who triumphed over the suffering and guides us to the that same victory. As we looked at the hall of faith, right, we saw them go through all those trials of suffering. Well, him as the pioneer, he's the one that has gone before us. He is the high priest that has suffered as a human. See, Jesus ran his race during his incarnation and thought uh, here his, the... Jesus is the winner and has shown us uh, how to have the same victory over the adversity. Now, in the New King James Version, the pioneers translated captain here. And captains, they do what? They lead from the front. And I like that because Jesus leads from the front. He didn't say, hey, just go do this. You notice every other religion and every other God and every other religion tells you to do something that they haven't done. Jesus was faithful, completely obedient, completely followed the law. He did everything he was supposed to do and had ultimate faith through it. So he is the captain, he is the pioneer of our salvation. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20 it says, Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, He ran the race first and now waits for us to join him in the end. And number five, he is the perfecter. Using the New English translation again, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set out before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and it's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. As the perfecter. It's also translated finisher. So you would get in the New King James the author and finisher of our faith. See, he is the author. He is the finisher. He is the pioneer and perfecter. This is the one that brings an intended goal. Jesus is our perfecter, both because he made the perfect high priest through suffering and obedience. The two are linked, so the concept of pioneer and perfecter are one concept. They're a single description of who Jesus is. See, some have suggested that, to even paraphrase this in a way, that he is the beginning and the end of the faith journey. He is the one who initiated the path and now brings it to completion. Our faith walk is completed in whom? It's Jesus Christ. See, the way we perse- persevere is to surrender and to follow him at all times in everything we do. We are to acknowledge God in all of our ways. Not some of our ways, all of our ways. And he shall direct what literally our path. So he is the author, the initiator, the pioneer. But then he's the finisher and perfecter of our faith. He is the one that we are to look to for salvation and the one to look to to persevere. He is the one that we are to focus on at all times. In Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the concept of peace here is more of that shalom peace. It's... Uh, It's an eternal peace. It's not a temporal peace. It's an eternal peace with God. For two reasons. One, you have peace in your life. But two, you have peace because you were an enemy of God. So now you have peace between the two of you. But peace, God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So as you rejoice in hope, the word here, hope, is translated assurance in the Greek. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Some translators say rejoice. So rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces what? Perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now the word for character here is really interesting because in the Greek, it actually translates proof, like a proven character. Interesting, isn't it? So we are to glory in tribulations. That means rejoice in tribulations. Who wants to rejoice in tribulations? Keeping the same concept of preparing for your race, it's grueling and agonizing to even prepare. Is it easy to read the Bible? Go ahead. There's some tough stuff in here. Tough concepts that you wrestle with. But as you go through life and you run the race, guess what? You're going to deal with trials. To persevere, to have that enduring character, improving character. And your hope, your assurance. Now, hope does not disappoint. Our assurance does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Because we have hope in Christ. He's the one that allows us to persevere. I don't know if you ever heard the story, but there was, there was a story about a guy. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a fictitious story, but it was, it, the thought was there that you have um, a guy walking with Jesus, right? He's walking on the beach with Jesus. He keeps walking, 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 walking. He looks behind him. He sees two footsteps, uh, two sets of foot, footsteps in the beach, like in the sand. And then all of a sudden, he starts going through these trials and tribulations, trials and tribulations. And all he is, he's focused on God. And then he looks to the right, doesn't see Jesus Christ anymore. Right? So as he goes through all these trials, and all of a sudden he's out of these trials, and then he sees Jesus walking to him. He says, where were you while I was going through all my problems? I had all these problems, and you were not there. Because all he saw behind him was one set of footprints. And then Jesus responds and says, well, that's because I was carrying you. That's how we persevere through the race. Christ carries us. It's through focus on him. And when we read the word of God and we are in prayer and we're in worship and we're gathered together as Hebrews chapter 10 says, we're not to forsake the gathering. It helps us with our focus to run the race Back to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom all things. In bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of our salvation. Perfect through what? Suffering. Perfect through suffering. Captain is the same word used in the pioneer in the New King James. is also author. he has been made perfect through suffering. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, Through he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Because he perfects us as we draw closer to him through our suffering. Back to verse 2 in Hebrews chapter 12 looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, after you see Jesus' credentials were explained and the reasons for keeping our eyes on him, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus must be the believers' examples in facing trials. See, he endured the cross, despising the shame. The cross is tied with the shame, which was obviously talking about the crucifixion. It was shameful. See, remember, Roman citizens could not be crucified, it was the most painful and humiliating death. See, it was a shameful death, absolutely contrasted with the joy of Jesus, which he has in heaven. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he both began the finished work of salvation. The salvific work, redemption, propitiation, and reconciliation was accomplished by him on the what? On the cross, through his humiliation and suffering. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Which leads me to Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. See, Christ sat down because he offered up his life. He completed his work, his mission, his race. He is enthroned and exalted he is the high priest of heaven. The one interceding for us. As Christ is exalted in heaven. In the high place of honor. We are called to a life of sacrifice and suffering. In order to win our way to victory. And to share in his glory forever. I don't think you can lose your salvation. I think you're saved through faith. And not works. However. However. There are rewards in heaven. And it's through our work that we receive certain rewards. If we look at Luke twenty-two, twenty-eight 28 to 30, he says, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Christians will share his reward when they finish the race, which is set before them. So just like Christ, we should persevere in times of suffering, looking to Christ as the model and concentrating on our heavenly destination. We need to focus because everything is vying for our attention. Everything. It doesn't stop. The amount of text messages, emails, direct messages, scrolling, YouTube, notifications, everything is trying to pull your attention away from God. And what happens when your attention is away from God? You fall on your face. Quite literally, sometimes. Now, this is to like, well, Christians who think that they should have it better. See, Christ followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than their master had. They hate you because they hated him first. First. That's okay because we have eternal glory, eternal victory that all we have to do is focus on him and finish the race. So, we move to our application. Apply now because now you apply. Shedding weight. The wrestlers in the room know it's like. Horrible. (laughs) To run the race set before us, means that we have to train see long distance runners work hard to build endurance and strength see on race day their clothes are lightweight and their bodies are absolutely lean so since shedding weight means our sin weight is important to your spiritual run so the question is how can you do it one is that you choose friends who also committed to the race. See, wrong friends will have wrong values and activities that may deter you from the course. See, much of your own weight may be a result of that deterring you from the race or pulling you away from the race. But remember, You need to shed the weight sometimes to properly finish the race. Drop certain activities, certain weights, right? Try dropping them for a while, then check for the results. If TV consumes your precious time, sometimes you got to stop doing it. If your phone or a certain application or a certain social media account takes away from those things, Stop it. How about shopping? If you're always on Facebook Marketplace or something like that. Or you're at the thrift store or something like that. I don't know. I know a lot of people are like, I go thrifting. I'm like, that's a thing? I'm like, do you have that much time on your hands? <laughs> Sorry. But if any of those things are your relaxer or your stress reliever, That becomes a problem because you rely on uh, an activity opposed to the creator of the universe. If you have addictions, get help. If you have a secret weight, such as pornography, gambling, alcohol, admit that you need help and find someone as soon as possible to help you with that. Here's the reality: For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone sins, but I urge you to seek help from those things. Now, as we move to our questions, and you're going to break them to small groups, the first question is: What does your spiritual training look like? Your spiritual training. Now, I don't. I want to make a disclaimer. This is not to be legalistic. Say, oh, you must read 30 chapters a day in the Bible. I'm not saying that, no. If you don't read anything in the Bible, listen, read a chapter. It'll take you five minutes. Guarantee it won't take you five minutes. If you don't pray, ask five people about their problems, write them down, and you'll pray for at least five minutes. The average Christian prays one minute a day. So you'll be beating the average Christian already. So this is not to be legalistic. This is to be truthful so that you may encourage each other to help with your spiritual training. Second is, what weight do you have to set aside? Hebrews 12.1. And how can that be accomplished? So break up into small groups so we can start our discussion questions.